Well, good evening, family. We are glad that you are joining us online. We sure do miss you guys. We are praying for you every day. We are looking forward to being back with together with you soon. Wherever you're at tonight, just go ahead and hit share on that, on that button below so people can join us as we worship God and we hear a powerful word tonight. Father, we thank you for this time to get to join together, to worship you, to honor you. Thank you for each one that's here tonight online watching with us. Just inhabit the praises of your people tonight, God, that wherever we're gathered, you're in our midst. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. God is able. He will never fail. He is almighty God. Greater than all we see. Greater than all we ask, He has done great things. Lifted up, He defeated the grave. Raised to life, our God is able. In His name, we overcome. For the Lord, our God, is able. God is with us. God is on our side. name. 
Father, we love you. Thank you that your blood paid it all, Jesus. We stand covered. We stand washed clean in the blood of Jesus. Father, we thank you for everyone gathered here online tonight. Be with us. Be in our midst, God. We are open and we are ready to hear what you have for us tonight. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name. If you can agree with that, even at home, would you say amen? And whoever's there with you, would you turn and high-five from across the room? Let, let them know that you love them. We miss you guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. Pastor Mike. Amen. Well, let's start in Luke chapter 10 this evening. Beginning in verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. Verse 8. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you. Eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now let's skip down to verse 17. The 70 return from their uh, ministry excursion. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, in the verses of Scripture that we read, we skipped over a few, but there was never one thing said about casting the devil out of anybody. There was nothing that Jesus commanded them to do. It didn't even really tell us what they were instructed or commanded to preach. But it did tell us the principles that we know govern Jesus' life in ministry, and that is it takes faith in order for somebody to receive from God, and it even took faith for, the, for Jesus when he was here on the earth and the disciples, too, to perform miracles and healings even though they're the will of God. You may remember in Mark chapter 6, it says that Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth could there do no mighty work. doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't do any mighty work. Savior, except he laid his hands upon a few sick folks, a few folks with minor ailments, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So we see the same 
principles govern the 70 as well as the 12 when they went out at Jesus' instruction, just as it governed Jesus as well. Now here Jesus says, when they come back, they found out that their authority went further than they were even told. I don't believe it was that Jesus was trying to keep anything from them, but by virtue of the fact that he didn't tell them about casting out devils or the authority that they had been given included authority over the devil, they experimented apparently because of the time that they were with Jesus. They did the same things perhaps that they saw Jesus do when he encountered or faced a, an evil spirit that was oppressing someone. And they found out their authority went even so much as to cast out devils. Now, Jesus says, I beheld light, Satan fall as lightning from heaven. He's not saying when they exercised their authority, Satan fell from heaven. He's talking about something that happened long, long, long ago before the recreation account in Genesis chapter 1 took place. But notice it says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. The word power is in verse 19 twice, but they're two different words, two different Greek words. The first word, power, is literally the, the word authority. It's translated that way in many other places, most other places, actually. Now, the second time that he says power, he's talking about the power or the ability of the enemy. So Jesus is literally saying, Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the ability of the enemy, and nothing shall by many, any means hurt you. Thank God we have authority over the devil. Thank God we have authority over all the power of the devil. But now, folks, one of the ways that, Jesus, that uh, the devil keeps people from exercising that authority is to keep them in the dark about what it is. Authority, no matter how far-ranging or far-reaching it might be, if you don't know you have it, it wouldn't do you any good. And on the other hand, if you did know you have it, but didn't exercise it, didn't put it to use, it wouldn't do you any good then either. So since the Bible says, Jesus said, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I think it would be good for us to look to what the Bible says that we have authority over. For example, look with me in Revelation chapter 12. Let's see what the Bible says about the devil as being the one that we have authority over. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. All Bible scholars agree that that's talking about Satan taking a third of the angels with him to make war against God. And his tail drew the third part of the, angel, of the stars of heaven, or the angels, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is talking about the woman is, is the nation of Israel. The child that was born is Jesus. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Now, this passage of Scripture, we'll read a little bit further, but this passage of Scripture is talking about things that happened before this world was created, and it's talking about things that happened that we know of concerning Jesus' birth, and it's talking about things that would happen 
will happen during the last half of the tribulation. 1,260 is the number of days that it refers to, and that's exactly three and a half years, 42 months, three and a half years. So it's talking about the last half, the second part of the, of the tribulation period. Verse 7, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. It's saying the dragon, meaning the devil, didn't prevail. And prevailed not, neither was there any place found, their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I want you to look with me to some other scripture here, folks. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the devil, but what it does tell us is instructive so that we know and understand and exercise the authority that we have over him. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? which did weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the, the most high. Notice he says five things. Satan expresses five things that he will do. Here's the rebellion that he had uh, endeavored against God. First in verse 13, I will ascend into heaven. That means Satan had to have been below heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That means he had a throne below the stars of God. Now here the stars may be talking about the angels again, or it may literally be speaking of the stars as we know them or as we uh, have experience with. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. He's desiring to be like God and to take God's place. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. That means he had to bend below the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee narrowly or shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and that did shake kingdoms that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof? That opened not the house of his prisoners. All the kings of the nations, everyone, even all of them, lie in glory, everyone in his own house. But thou art cast out of their grave like an abominable branch, as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword, that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet. I want to read this to you from a different translation. There are many that we could pick from that say, basically the same things but i want you to hear this one you were like the morning star but you have fallen from the sky in the past all the nations bowed down before you but now you have been cut down satan is certainly fallen notice again in verse 17 people will see that satan is the one that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof destroyed the cities thereof now folks I think we need to, to consider when this is talking about. It's not talking about now. It's not talking about when Satan shook kingdoms in this world as we know them. It's not talking about him destroying cities in the world that we know. 
Let's see another verse of Scripture and try to add to what the Bible is telling us. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, this can't be talking about a human king. It's talking about Satan himself. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, and the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walk up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. The Bible keeps talking about Satan as being a created being. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. This word merchandise means trade. Folks, it's talking about a period of time when Satan was operating with some degree of authority here on the earth. He's called the anointed cherub that covers. Satan was created originally to have authority over the world that was. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. Here's God's answer to the five things Satan said he will do. God says he will do five things too. I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. By the iniquity of thy traffic, this word traffic is the word merchandising or trade again. By the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and thou shalt be never more. Now, folks, we're all familiar with what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2 says, and the world was without form and void, and darkness moved upon the face of the deep. Now, the word was in Genesis 1, 2 can mean to become. If it means to become then that tells us that the world was in a different place or a different condition when the recreation account in Genesis begins than it was originally created. I want to read to you from Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. In Genesis 1-2 where it says in the world was or became without form and void. That word form is the word tohu in the Hebrew. The other word that's used, it became without form and void. That second word that's used means empty. 
Well, here in Isaiah 45, verse 18, it says, God created not the world in vain. That word vain is the Hebrew word tohu. And notice it goes on to say he created it to be inhabited. But in the Genesis account, when we pick up the Genesis account, we see that the world was in a different condition. It was without form and void. It was tohu vobohu. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm sure the accent is not correct. But it's Hebrew for without form and void. Here the Bible says specifically, God says, I didn't create it that way. Well, if he didn't create that way, then what caused it to become like that? What created the condition that we find in Genesis 1-2? I want you to look with me also to 1 Peter chapter, or I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Well, we're in the last days, so we ought to pay attention. There shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? In the last days, one of the things that Peter identifies by the Holy Ghost that will take place is people that mock or deny the coming of Jesus. And so they'll be saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now notice that phrase, from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter is saying that there's something that people ought to take, ought to understand as a foundational truth or belief. And that was there was a different world that was overflowed with water than what there is now. Now, some people will say, well, that was just Noah's flood. That's just talking about the flood that took place in Noah's day. But notice that the word world that's used, the world that then was, that word is, means the world system. Now, when Noah's flood or when the flood waters came during Noah's day, we didn't have a different world system after the flood than we had before the flood. The world system didn't change. Yet Peter is talking about a condition of the world that did change. Let's back up again in verse 5. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Now, folks, I would submit to you that that's the condition that Genesis 1-2 says the world had become. I would submit to you that that's the very condition that Genesis 1-2 tells us God started over with, a world that was without form and void, and then created a new world. And that's the world that we understand and experience now. The heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Well, would this fit 
with what Peter says fit with what the Bible tells us about Satan making the earth a wasteland? Would it fit what the Bible tells us about the creation account? I want to remind you also concerning this creation account, Psalm 8, beginning in verse 3. Now, the book of Hebrews tells us that this was an angel that made these remarks that are recorded for us. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. That English word angels is the Hebrew word Elohim. It means God himself. Thou hast made him a little lower than yourself. Remember Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. It says, And God said, or literally an Elohim said, Let us make man in our own likeness and after our own image, and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. Here, Psalm 8 verse 5, Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, literally a little lower than God himself. Well, if we were made in the likeness and image of God, we would be a little lower than God himself, wouldn't we? Thou hast made him a little lower than Elohim and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. Okay, so let's think about what we know. We know that there was a war in heaven where Satan took a third of the angels of God and didn't prevail. He was cast out of heaven to the earth. Remember, Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven to the earth. Those are talking about the same two events. The Bible tells us that Satan was created. He was a created being, but he was created to have a place of authority. He was created to rule in some capacity over the world that was. And the Bible tells us about how Satan was the anointed cherub that covers. And it tells us about the beauty of his covering. All these precious stones were a part of his covering or his, his makeup. He exercised authority. He had a throne here on the earth. But he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted to be God himself. So what took place? Well, the Bible says the earth became without form and void. It wasn't the way God created it, but it became a place that was without form and void. So what does God do? God says, I'm going to remake the, the earth. I'm going to replenish the earth with all good things. We know the six days of creation. And after God had made every other thing, he decides to make man for the single and sole purpose of having dominion on the earth. And the angels who have witnessed these things, the angels witnessed the war in heaven. The angels witnessed the destruction of the earth, the laying of, laying of waste to the earth, making it a wasteland, as the scripture says, that's attributed to Satan's actions. The angels have seen all these things. And then they hear that God says that he's going to make a man in his own image and after his own likeness. That means he makes God, or God makes man in his own class of being not just a spirit being because the angels are spirit beings but man was created for an entirely different purpose and that was to have authority here on the earth he was the one that was to have dominion over God's hands the work of God's hands he was the one that was designed and created 
to hold this high position. And the angels are flabbergasted by this. They hear God's plan to create man in, his own in, in God's own image. They hear about God's plan to deliver dominion unto him. Maybe they're thinking about Satan or Lucifer who had dominion on the earth in the world that then was. Maybe they're wondering why God would risk that again, giving dominion over to someone else. Another part of this, and I, I wish we had a little bit more information on this so we could determine what the answer might be, but whatever it was that was here before, whoever was building the cities that Satan had control or influence or dominion over, whoever it was that was engaging in this merchandising, buying and selling and trafficking and so forth, whoever that was, was not man. Whatever created beings they might have been, they could not have been man. Because if they were, then we wouldn't have Psalm 8. We wouldn't have the angels questioning, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than God himself, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Well, we know that that changed a little bit. We know something terrible happened when Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. When they disobeyed God, the world was turned upside down, at least in that respect. Spiritual death began to rule and reign over mankind. We see the entrance of sickness and disease, which wasn't there when God recreated the earth. And God, in recreating the earth, looked at it at the, at the end of the sixth day, and he pronounced it very good or perfect. It literally was the kingdom of God here on the earth. But Adam and Eve fell. And at that point, Satan gained influence. Now, here's the, the, the main point I want to try to cover. I want you to see this. This world, the recreation, the Genesis account that we have recorded in Genesis chapter 1, the recreation of the earth had no place, made no provision for Satan in any way whatsoever. Satan was not created to have a place here on the earth. Therefore, when the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, where it tells us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, that's Ephesians 6 verse 10. Verse 12 goes on to say, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. None of those things were intended by God to be in place. God never intended for the earth, the recreated earth, to be under Satan's influence in any way whatsoever. Now you may remember in Daniel chapter 10, it tells us how that Daniel had seen in the Jeremiah's writings about Israel being taken into captivity in Babylon or by Babylon. But that at a certain time, God would release his people, free his people, and bring them back into their own land. Well, Daniel started praying about that. He started fasting to get an answer for when that would take place and what he should do regarding that. And the Bible says that after three weeks, 21 days of fasting, an angel appeared unto Daniel. And the angel said something like this. He said, Daniel, you're greatly beloved. 
And he said, from the first day that you began to inquire of God and began to fast, I heard your words, or literally God heard his words. And he said, I was sent, from the first day, I was sent to bring you the answer. Well, if he was sent the first day from heaven, that Daniel started his fast on day one, then why did it take him to day 21 to get there? Heaven either is a long, long, long way off, or something else is in play. Now, the angel says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood him. He's talking about an angelic influence, or a demonic influence, I should say, spirit being influence. And it held up Daniel's answer for 21 days. Now, it couldn't stop it altogether. But this angel also makes reference to the fact that Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the angels of God, came to help him to fight against those evil spirits, those principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. And he finally got through. Then he went back to say, he also revealed to Daniel that he was going back to re-engage in the fight. Now, folks, God never intended for these principalities or powers or rulers of the darkness of this world or spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places. He never made provision for them on the earth. And you may recall in, in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Bible tells us that God quickened Jesus, raised him from death to life, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but in that which is to come. He put all those things under our feet, which is the body of Christ. Now notice it's a restoration of what God's original intent. Here in Psalm chapter 8, again we'll start in verse 5, Thou hast made him a little lower than yourself, God himself, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. When Jesus was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God the Father, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were quickened when he was quickened. We were made alive when he was made alive. And we were seated at the right hand of God when he was seated at the right hand of God. In other words, it's telling us, the church, that the life of God, the eternal life that Jesus came to provide for us, that eternal life puts us in a position of authority where all things are under our feet. All things are under our feet. Now, folks, you know as well as I do that the head, as smart as somebody's head might be, can't do anything unless they have a body to express themselves. Well, the Bible says that Christ's body is us the church and that's why he gave us authority that's why he gave us the ability to exercise the will of God here on the earth and exercise dominion over the earth from God's original intent remember God is no respecter of persons so what belongs to one belongs to all and God is eternal he never changes so since God's original plan for man was to have dominion over the works of his hands, it has to be his present day will for us to have dominion over the works of his hands. Since God's original plan was to put all things under the feet of his man, Adam, and his descendants, in the same way, Jesus has restored us to the place where all things are under our feet too. All things are under our feet. Now turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. 
Colossians chapter 2. Let's start reading. Um, let's start reading in verse 8. It says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see that verse? For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means the fullness of Christ, the fullness of God, everything that God is, everything that God desires, everything that God wills, is to be carried out through his body. The Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are relegated to the spirit realm. But we, who have flesh and bone bodies, are the ones to carry out his will in the earth because he put all things under our feet. Folks, it would be just as illegal, spiritually illegal, for Jesus to operate here on the earth since he no longer has a flesh and blood body as it was for Satan to come into the world through deception, just like John chapter 10 tells us. Christ needs the body of Christ. He needs the church to exercise his will on the earth. He needs the church to recognize the authority that we have and to exercise that authority so that his will may be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Let's keep reading. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Notice how many times the Bible keeps saying that he's the head over all principality and power, and the church has been given authority over those principalities and powers. These are rebel holders of authority. As I said before, the, God made no provision whatsoever for these fallen spirits, including the devil, to have any place of authority in this earth whatsoever. Now, he gained it through deceiving Adam and Eve. But when Jesus came to the earth, performed the works of God, revealed the Father to us, lived a sinless and spotless life, went to the cross as our substitute, as the sacrificial lamb in our place, then was quickened from the dead, made alive in spirit, after he had carried the punishment of sin and death upon himself. Then God raised him from the dead in the same way he raised us up from the dead. He set Jesus at his own right hand, and in the same exact manner, he set us at his own right hand, that place of authority, so that we can carry out the will of God here on the earth. So you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, and whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who has raised us, or raised him from the dead, and you raised us too, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He hath quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Folks, it was a very public display. Not a physical display, but a spiritual display. The victory that he gained over Satan 
was something that all of heaven, all of the spirit realm, the angels of God, the demon spirits, as well as Satan himself, everybody saw the totality of the victory of Jesus when he was raised from the dead and and seated at God's right hand. That's one of the things that has kept me for the last several weeks outside of just the things that the Lord spoke to me about and impressed upon me to talk about authority again. One of the things that has captivated my imagination is when Jesus was tempted of the devil. Here's a created being trying to deceive his creator. He's a created being that's trying to deceive his creator. The Bible says Jesus created all spirit beings, all principalities and powers. He made all these demon spirits. Not in, uh, He made them perfect, but when Satan enticed them to follow him, the third part of them at least, they're all created by, by Jesus himself. So when the devil begins to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, here's a created being, and I, can, I, can, I know it didn't happen this way, because if it would have happened this way, the Bible would have given us credit or given us an account of it. But when Satan first begins to tempt Jesus, I just can't help but think that Jesus said something or thought something along the lines that we just read in Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen? He used to have every precious stone as his covering. And now there's no covering for him whatsoever. And I just can't imagine anything other than Jesus seeing this, surveying this situation and saying, boy, you're nothing compared to what you were made to be. Nothing compared to what you're made to be. Now, he would have us think that he's all-powerful. He would have us to think that he has the ability to overrun us in any and every aspect of life. But the Bible tells a different story. The Bible tells us that he's nothing in comparison to what he was created to be. And even in his finest splendor and his greatest wisdom and the beauty of his, his person, At his greatest, at his highest, he was never even in God's class of being. Folks, you are. You have been created in the image and likeness of God. You've been created in such a way that the angels themselves, spirit beings though they may be, but that the angels themselves were flabbergasted to hear God's plan to give man authority here on the earth, to deliver dominion unto him, to put all things on this earth under his feet. That's something the angels will never have. The Bible says the angels desire to look into our salvation. In other words, they envy us. They wish they could experience the redemptive salvation, the redemption and eternal life that Jesus came to bring. But they can't. And no matter what work the devil tries no matter what he engages in, no matter what lies and deceit he operates in, he'll never be in God's class of being. I think that's one reason why he hates mankind so much. And his best tool against mankind 
is to keep us from understanding who we are in and through Christ. To keep us from understanding that we were made in the image and likeness of God. Or keep us from understanding what that really means and signifies. He wants to keep us from understanding that we have authority. And he wants to keep us from exercising that authority. And most of the time, I think we would safely be able to say that the reason many times the church doesn't exercise the authority that the Bible says we have is that they're either ignorant or they're afraid. They may be ignorant of what belongs to us. The Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. So I don't mean ignorance as an insult. I just mean ignorance because they don't know what the Word says. But even those who are not ignorant of what the Bible says belongs to us, Many of them fail to exercise their authority. And I believe the majority reason for that is fear. Jesus was fearless when he stood before the devil. He knew he was his creator. He knew Satan had no part in him. Because he was born of a virgin by his father God. He knew that there was no hold that Satan could place upon him in any manner in any respect whatsoever. He knew that the byproducts of spiritual death, sickness and poverty, he knew those things could not hold and bind a man here on the earth if they exercised authority. He was fearless in the, in the face of sickness and disease. He knew that it was a consequence, an illegal consequence of an illegal act of betrayal against God. But God didn't impute our sins to us. Jesus didn't come to the earth and say, if you live right long enough, then you can be healed. He simply sent his disciples out doing the same things that he did himself. And that was to preach that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto them. The people that accepted that and believed it, he demonstrated the power of God through mighty signs and wonders. I want to close with one last scripture. Turn with me to Philippians Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I know this verse of Scripture has been wrung out so many times in so many different ways that many people have failed to understand what he's saying. But it's talking about man understanding and realizing that he was made in God's class of being. It's talking about us understanding who we are and what authority we have, where we've been raised to sit with Jesus in heavenly places. This, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. God wants you to know that he's made you in his class of being. He wants you to know he's made you above the angels. He wants you to know that he's made you above Satan himself and the principalities and powers and the evil spirits that operate against us. He wants us to know that. He wants us to have confidence in that. It's not talking about being equal with God as far as having God's creative power. It's talking about being equal with God because he's the head and we're the body of Christ here on the earth. And all things are under our feet. So Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. One translation says he laid aside his heavenly power and glory. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things, the Amplified says, of things or beings in heaven. Well, you would understand that if he's talking about every knee bowing, only personalities have knees. So he said, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things or beings in heaven and things or beings in earth and things or beings under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, God has given us a name. A part of his redemptive work was to exalt Jesus for the purpose of giving him a name to transfer, to delegate its use to the church here on the earth. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every demon spirit, every demonic force, every work of Satan, every sickness and every disease which are byproducts of spiritual death that Satan brought to the earth. All these things must bow to the precious and holy name of Jesus. The most powerful name in the universe has been given to you and me. The reason it's been given to you and me is to enforce the authority that has been given to the church. Folks, we have not only a, a privilege, but I believe an obligation to exercise authority here on the earth, to be the church. And if there's ever been a time in the history of mankind that needed the church to be the church, this is the time. With things turning upside down the way that they are, with things changing as rapidly and as wildly as they are, there's never been a greater need for the church to stand up and exercise its authority over the works of the devil and use the name that's above every name, the precious name of Jesus. Satan can't overcome that name. He was openly spoiled, openly defeated. He knows he's no match for that name. He just wants to keep you from finding that out too. Thank God we have the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Folks, the coronavirus has to bow to the name of Jesus. Every sickness and every disease has to bow to the name of Jesus. Every work of Satan and even Satan himself has to bow to the name of Jesus. All things are put under our feet. We are seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places just as Jesus is. So Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection. And he says, all power, literally all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Then he immediately delegated that authority to the church. He said, go ye therefore. Mark 16 tells us, and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. First thing he mentions is they'll cast out devils. Well, you couldn't cast them out if you didn't have authority over them. So the first sign he said of the church in the exercise of the authority that was delegated to us is that we would exercise authority over the devil. 
And that means against anything or over anything and everything that's of the devil. We can exercise authority over poverty and lack in the name of Jesus. We can exercise authority over sickness and disease in the name of Jesus. We can exercise authority over anything that the devil would do to hinder us from walking in the fullness of what Jesus provided for us in the name of Jesus. Thank God for the name of Jesus. Let's just worship him for a moment and thank him for that name. Oh, Father, we bless you and we thank you for the name of Jesus. We thank you for your great plan of redemption. Jesus, we magnify you as our Lord and Savior, the one, the only one that was willing and able to offer yourself as our sacrifice, as our substitute. We bless you, Jesus. We thank you for delegating authority to the church. We thank you that the devil is no match for even the slightest member, the weakest member of the body of Christ who knows their authority. So in the name of Jesus, we rebuke sickness and disease. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke the coronavirus. We refuse to allow it to come upon the people of our church, our church family. We refuse to allow it into our individual homes and, and families. We say, Father, by faith, that in the name of Jesus, any virus that comes in contact with our bodies die instantly. We declare that we are free from all sickness and disease. And Father, in this upside-down world where the economy is, who knows what's going to happen with it, we thank you that we can operate in abundance because you meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And they don't change no matter what the stock market does. We thank you for providing for our church family. We thank you, Father, for caring for each and every one of us. We cast our cares, all of our anxieties, and all of our worries on you once and for all. For you careth for us affectionately and about us watchfully. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.